Okie dokie, let's take our Bibles please and open to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to turn this down again. Okay, Isaiah chapter 40. Let's uh, go to verse 25. <clears throat> Isaiah 40 from verse 25 to verse 31, the end of the chapter. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning reading tonight of verse 25. <clears throat> to whom then will ye liken... Uh, to whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All right, let's pray and ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of the scriptures. Thank you for this, uh, uh, this uh, knowledge, this information, this revelation concerning yourself and uh, the wonderful God that you are. And as we continue in our series tonight on the the attributes of God. Uh, we pray that we might uh, uh, learn uh, more about the amazing, uh, awesome God that you are. And uh, Lord, uh, may uh, our increasing knowledge and, and understanding of your ways, Lord, may it uh, humble us and uh, cause us to worship. And uh, Lord, I pray it would affect us deeply uh, deeply in our hearts so it's not just information to add to our minds but it's something that transforms our hearts uh, Lord this is our our prayer as we proceed in Bible study tonight we pray this in Jesus name amen <clears throat> well over the last couple, couple of weeks uh, we've seen that there is no place that God does not exist and that's his omnipresence we've seen that there's nothing that God does not know that's his omniscience. But in addition to that, we're learning tonight that there's nothing that God cannot do. Okay, that's his omnipotence. Okay, God is omnipotent. And uh, just a couple of verses, just uh, straight off the bat, just to sort of help to set the scene. Genesis 17, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
Matthew 19, 26, but Jesus said unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Luke 1, 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Revelation 19, verse 6, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, as we begin to consider the omnipotence of God, we are once again moving into a realm far beyond anything we have ever experienced before. Uh, all of us are concerned at one level or another with the issue of power. Uh, political power impacts us all. Uh, there's physical power which increases as our bodies mature and decreases with the passing of years. There's the power required to propel our cars and operate our homes and run our cities. There's the amazing power of atomic energy, nuclear energy. There's the breathtaking power of nature, earthquakes and volcanoes and storms and floods and fires. And in these we see incredible demonstrations of power, but none of these even begin to compare the power of God, God's omnipotence. We already know the word omni means all, therefore God is all-powerful or, or almighty. The word almighty is used 57 times in the Bible and it's never used of anyone else but God. And in our English Bible, the word omnipotent is only used once. And of course, it only applies to God. And there's a reason for this. Almighty means, there in your notes, having an infinite and absolute plentitude of power. And when you use the word infinite and absolute, you can only be talking about one person, and that's God. Yet, God's omnipotence involves more than just raw power, R-A-W. His omnipotence involves more than just raw power. God's omnipotence, and this is a good definition here, includes the exercise of his choice to use his unlimited power to reflect his divine glory and accomplish his sovereign will. That's a good definition. Also, something else as good as this quote by Stephen Charnock in in your notes, he says, The power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatever he pleases, whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct, whatsoever his infinite pur the infinite purity of his will may resolve. As holiness is the beauty of all God's attributes, so power is that which gives life and action, missing word, life and action to all the perfections of the divine nature. How vain would be the eternal counsels, that is, you know, the, the counsels that God has in, in eternity past, when, in, the, in the Godhead, talking together. How vain would be those counsels if power did not step in to execute them. Without power, his mercy would be feeble pity. His promises, an empty sound. His threatening, a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, it should be restrained. Uh, it can, sorry, it can neither be 
checked, restrained, or frustrated not by the creature. Sorry about that. It should be or not more. Uh, or frustrated by the creature. Like all of God's attributes, God's omnipotence has a moral base. God doesn't just do powerful things just to impress people. Rather, he uses his power to, to glorify himself, or to accomplish his perfect will. And uh, the, the next quote by Henry Thiessen is very, very helpful because it covers something which is also very, very important. It's something that people will throw out trying to trip us up. God is all-powerful and able to do whatsoever he wills. Since his will is limited by his nature, God can do everything that is in harmony with his perfection. There are some things which God cannot do because they are contrary to his nature as God. He cannot look with favour upon something. Habakkuk 1.1. Iniquity. Okay? He cannot look with favour on iniquity. Second uh, Timothy two thirteen. He cannot something himself. He cannot deny himself. Okay, Titus one two, Hebrews six eighteen. He cannot lie. Um, James one thirteen. He cannot tempt or be tempted to sin. Okay, it's, felt, it's helpful to have. Um, those things presented before us. Those things are not in harmony with God's nature. Further, he cannot do things that are absurd or contradict, self-contradictory, such as make a material spirit, a sensitive stone, a square circle, or a wrong to be right. Okay, Sometimes people ask those sorts of questions. Can God make a stone so big he can't lift it? These are, object, these are not objects of power, and so denote no limitation of God's omnipotence. Okay? Because God expresses his power in, in ways which are consistent with his nature to accomplish his divine purposes. So helpful things there. Now, I, wanna, I want you to see four things. We have four major headings there, um, numerous subheadings, but uh, just... Just putting some things together, making some categories to help us understand our great God and his omnipotent power. First of all, number one, God's power is unlimited. God's power knows no limits. Because he is infinite, he is infinitely powerful. Since his being is unlimited, so is his power. Isaiah asked the question, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. And the psalmists agree with the greatness of God's power. David declares, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. That's Psalm 62 verse 11. And Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and of great power. And when you come to Romans chapter 1, verse 20 tells us that anyone, anyone with eyes to see and looks around at creation cannot escape the evidence that God exists and God is powerful. And that's why Romans 2, or sorry, no, Romans 1 goes on to say that a person has to de degenerate into a fool to deny God's existence and his omnipotence. No one is born an atheist. 
People have to be indoctrinated and brainwashed to conclude that God does not exist. Now, a couple of subheadings here. God's omnipotence is creative power. It, has been, it is creative power. All that's ever been made, here in your notes, all that's ever been made, all will ever be made, was created by the power of God. According to Psalm 89 verse 11, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. God can create a universe because he has no limitation. God has made things that we haven't even yet discovered. And when we add to this the fact that God is infinitely greater than his creation, we're talking about someone who has incomprehensible power. <clears throat> Psalm 40 verse 22 says that God stretches out the heavens like, like we would stretch out a curtain. Another quote by Stephen Charnock. With, mod, with, with what majestic lines does God set for his power in the, in, giving, in the giving being and endowment to all creatures in the world? All that is in heaven and earth are his and shows the greatness of his power, glory, victory and majesty. The heaven being so magnificent a piece of work is called emphatically the firmament of his power. His power being more conspicuous and unavailed in that glorious arch of the world. Indeed, God exalteth by his power. That is, exalts himself by his power in all the works of his hands, in the smallest shrub, as well as the most glorious sun. Now, autonomous man has turned away in rebellion from this fact and taken refuge in so-called science. In science classes at every level of education, especially in the secular universities, you find the puny, independent, insignificant, rebellious, on his way to the grave man, has dismissed God from the discussion and decided to take his place. Mankind does not want to give credit to anyone or anything greater than himself. But you know what true science is? It is the process of observing the consistency of God. True science is the process of observing the consistency of God. Scientists look for certain patterns. When they see a pattern that doesn't change, they call it a law. But then they give credit to nature for this law. When all they've really discovered is the fact that God is consistent. And God never meant for us to take credit for his work or give credit to some ambiguous entity called nature. <clears throat> Point B there. <clears throat> God's power is out of nothing power. That's what kind of power he has. It's out of nothing power. God is not only unlimited in what he can do, he's also unlimited in how he can get it done. He's so limitless that he can create ex nihilo, that is out of nothing he doesn't need raw material to put together his creation. Now, none of us has never seen anything created ex nihilo. But neither has science. And that shows the foolishness of evolution. Evolution wants to bring everything from nothing. But the process has never been observed in a laboratory. And yet God, the word of God declares 
Romans 4.17, that God calleth those things which be not as though they were. And that's power. It's one thing to have the power to form something, but to make something from nothing is another level. <clears throat> Thirdly, God's power is effortless power. God's unlimited power is effortless. He doesn't expend energy to do what needs to get done. He doesn't strain. He doesn't grunt or groan. He doesn't get sweaty because something's too heavy to list or too hard to make. Think about this. It's no more effort. It takes no more effort for God to create the universe than for him to speak. All he has to say is universe B. And we've got a universe. No effort involved there. We've just read Isaiah 40 verse 28. It says God doesn't get weary. There's no diminishing of God's powers. He doesn't need to rest for replenishment. A battery has got so much power in it. But as the battery expends the power, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. But when God expends power, he doesn't become anything less than he was before. His batteries don't run down. He has now the same amount of power that he had when he made the heavens and the earth and called the stars into being. And he'll never have any less power than he has now. Nor will he ever have more since he has all the power there is. And that is because God's power is self-generating. Point D, God's power is self-generating. It perhaps could be compared to a generator that's always running and never needs fueling or fixing. God never needs anything outside of himself to generate or sustain his power. God's power is like himself. It's self-existent, self-sustained. His omnipotence is such that by just speaking the words, the heavens were made. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9, For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Because God generates his power within himself. In your notes there, one of the best examples of God's power is the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary in Luke chapter 1. Let me paraphrase the conversation. The angel said to Mary, you're going to have a baby. What's more, he's going to be the son of God. And as Mary pondered this, she said, how can this be? I'm not even married. And then the angel continued, and now I am quoting, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the powers of the highest shall overshadow, overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. And then he added this, and behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. And how could all of this happen? Well, the, answer, the angel has the answer to that, verse 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. The virgin birth happened because it was God's virgin birth. If you take God out of the picture, it's impossible. But if you include God, the whole, it's a wholly new situation. Furthermore, the disciples had a hard time grasping the power of God. <clears throat> At one point, they watched a rich young man approach Jesus and then go away sorrowful. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. And then they heard Jesus say, <clears throat> it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
And that was too much for them. And so they asked, well, who then can be saved? Verse 26. Jesus answered, with men it is impossible, but, with, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. People often say that God has to show them his power before they'll believe. Well, God has shown us his power. The evidence is all round about us. Not only does the creation bear witness to the power of God, but also his entire independence of all created things. Listen to his own challenge to Job, Job 38. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who has laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? God's saying to Job, he said, I didn't have to get advice from you. I didn't have to get your help to pull any of this together. How comprehensively is the pride of man laid in the dust? And Job says an interesting thing, chapter 26 Job says, lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? The creative power of God, the, the, the creation of God, which is all evident everywhere around about, for everyone to see, revealing incredible power. Job says, these are just parts of God's way, a little, just a little portion of what we know about God. Job 26 verse 14. Arthur Pink picks up on this. He says, Who is able to count all the monuments of his power? Even that which is displayed of his might in the visible creation is utterly beyond our powers of comprehension. Still less are we able to conceive of omnipotence itself. There's infinitely more power lodged in the nature of God than is expressed in all of his works. Parts of his ways we behold in creation. But only a little part of his might is seen. Remarkably, this is brought out in Habakkuk 3 verse 4. And there was the hiding of his power, Habakkuk says. Scarcely possible to imagine anything more grandiloquent than the imagery of the whole chapter Habakkuk 1 yet nothing in it surpasses the nobility of this statement the prophet in a vision beholds the mighty God scattering the hills and overturning the mountains which one would think afford an amazing demonstration of his power nay says our verse that is rather the hiding in the displaying of his power what does this mean so inconceivable so immense so uncontrollable is the power of deity that the fearful convulsions which he works in nature conceal more than they reveal of his infinite might. God's power is unlimited. Secondly, God's omnipotence is broad in scope. God's omnipotence is broad in scope. The prophet Jeremiah says, chapter 32, verse 17, Our Lord God... Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Once you know that God can make a universe, nothing else is hard. If he can pull that off, then he can do anything because the universe includes everything. 
God's power is broad in its scope and its sweep. He has power over nature. That's why we can't equate the power of God with nature. He has power over nature. That's the first point there, power over nature. And if you don't believe God has power over nature, ask Pharaoh. And ask the children of Israel who went through the Red Sea and God saw God hold back nature and then collapse it on the Egyptians. Ask the people of Sodom and Gomorrah after the brimstone fell from heaven to destroy those two cities. Ask Noah and his family after it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Ask the disciples who were in a boat with Jesus when he said to the storm, peace be still. Not only does God have power over nature, but his power is so broad that it sustains as well as creates. The author of Hebrews, put it this way, Hebrews 1 verse 3. Who, talking about Jesus, being the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. The word upholding there means to sustain. Sustain. We don't fly off the earth because God sustains the law of gravity. The earth doesn't spin out of orbit because God keeps it intact. We don't burn or freeze to death because God is the one that keeps the sun just at the right distance from us. And we didn't come here to church tonight because we kept ourselves fit and healthy. We came here tonight because the power of God sustains us. God upholds everything by the word of his power. He keeps everything on track. He keeps everything going. He holds the universe together. And he can keep your life together. And he can sustain your life and your relationship. He can sustain a marriage because he's the great sustainer. Secondly, he has power to give life. We keep coming back to Psalm 139. As we talk about these omni attributes of God, because that psalm talks about all three. God's omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. David, in that psalm, he's meditating on the greatness of God. He says in verse 13 and 14, Thou hast possessed my reins, that is, you formed my inward parts. Thou hast covered me. You've woven me together in my mother's womb. I'll praise thee, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Any doctor will tell you that the two cells which come together in a mother's womb already carry the DNA code to determine the baby's gender, its height, every other trait, down to the shape of its nose. And God has to know what he's doing to pull that off. He has to be that powerful. Science can't explain it, but a child can tell you, God made me. And here's the problem with abortion, by the way. Abortion destroys that which is woven by God. That's the issue. Not the freedom of a woman over her body, not even her rights. Not even the rights of the baby. It's, it's the right of God. This is a work of God. David said, I was a person in my mother's womb. I was a person because God knit me. God, you knit me together very skillfully. Thirdly, power over the enemy. God's power is seen that he's able to create life. He's able to sustain life. 
He has the authority over life in the unseen realm, that is, amongst demons. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34, Jesus came upon two demon-possessed men. They had lost their minds. They turned very, very violent as a result of this demonic possession. The demons identified Jesus. They cried out, knowing what he had the power to do to them. And so the demons asked Jesus for permission to leave the men and to go into the herd of pigs. And Jesus, because he has authority, gave permission for them to leave the men and go in the herd of pigs who destroyed the herd of pigs. And the devil wants to destroy us. But the one person who has more power than the devil and his entire realm is God. And he is the only one who can dismiss those things that drive people crazy and tear their lives apart. D. Power over illness. God has power over illness. Luke chapter 9 verse 11 says that people brought their sick ones to Jesus and he healed them. And we could give multiple examples here, but that would take the remainder of our time. E. Power over circumstances. God has power over circumstances. This is one of, the, one, of, one of the wonderful lessons that Jeremiah learned. God told the prophet Jeremiah, I'm going to judge Israel. I'm going to bring the Babylonians who are going to come in and take the nation away and carry you off. But with the city under siege by the Babylonians, God told Jeremiah to buy himself a plot of ground. Jeremiah 32 verses 6 to 9. And Jeremiah, obedient man that he was, just went ahead and bought the land. Although, as he thought about it, it seemed to make no sense to him why he should do this. In verse 25, he expressed his misgivings to God. I mean, we're about to go into captivity. Why buy a block of land here? He was quite distressed about the whole situation. His circumstances were very bad. And so God has another word for him. First of all, he needed to establish some ground rules. So he asked Jeremiah a question, chapter 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And it was not a multiple choice question. And Jeremiah knew that the answer was no. But why did, at, why did God at that moment make a declaration about his omnipotence? It was because God was about to tell Jeremiah that... When the captivity of Israel was finished in the land of Babylon, God would bring them back to the land. And the people of God would enjoy the prosperity once again. That's in verses 36 to 44. And then Jeremiah's deed would mean something. But the negative situation was not the last word because God has power over all circumstances. Point F, power over death. God is even more powerful than death. By his power, every man and woman, boy and girl who has ever lived will be raised from the dead, ultimately. Resurrection to life or resurrection to judgment? You know, sometimes we see a sad situation where someone passes and a husband or wife or a child is so distraught that they plead with the departed to come back. Surprisingly, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, nothing happens. But when the Lord Jesus tells a dead person to come back, 
that person did. He called Lazarus from the grave and Lazarus came out bound in grave clothes, even though he's been dead for three days. And that's good news for believers, because when the doctor says to the family that you know, he's gone or she's gone, if that person knows Jesus as their saviour, at the same time as they're gone, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, come, come to heaven. Come home to heaven with me. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Because only God has power over death. No one else can offer us that hope. God's omnipotence is broad in its scope. <clears throat> Point G, God has power to forgive. Okay, remember when the four friends took their paralyzed friend and, down and put, let him down through the roof. And uh, there was a discussion there about forgiveness of sins. Luke chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said this, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power, power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch and go into thy house. Power to forgive sins. And as proof of that, stand up and walk. And man stood up and walked, proving Jesus had power, not just to heal, but also to forgive sins. Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, who should stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. God has power to forgive. God's Power is very broad in its scope. Thirdly, God's omnipotence is purposeful. And for this point, I want us to look, look up what God said about a man who up until Genesis 17 was known by the name Abram. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis 17, please. Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I'll make a covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Now, if you know anything about the story, you know that at this moment we've got a problem. God promises a 99-year-old man that, he's gonna, that the many nations are going to come from him and his 89-year-old wife, who for many, 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 many years hadn't been able to have children. And if you ask any nursing home worker, and they will tell you that there is a problem when someone makes a promise like that to people who are in a nursing home. That's exactly what God did. Genesis 18, turn over to chapter 18. God told Abraham in verse 10, and he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. 
Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Am I, uh, after I'm waxen old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? The idea of her getting pregnant at her age, especially when she looked at old Abraham, the, the whole situation struck Sarah as being so improbable that she laughed at God. She thought it was hilarious. But Sarah did give birth to Isaac. And Abraham did father a nation called Israel. And God said that nation would never be destroyed. And when everyone said the nation is gone, they raised a the flag in May 1948. It became a nation again because the omnipotence of God is purposeful. Now, if you are 89 years old and pray, Lord, I want to get pregnant, you may have a problem. And it's not that God can't do with you what he did with Sarah, but in his purposes, it's not necessary. God had a, it's there in your notes, God had a specific purpose in Sarah's pregnancy. Her child was the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. He was building a great nation through which he would show the world his mighty power and grace. And starting that nation through a miraculous birth showed his ability to keep the other miraculous promises related to the nation of Israel. And that's why Israel survives today. And that's why they will survive this present war and any other wars. They will survive. Why? Because of the omnipotence of God. God doesn't just go around showing how strong he is. What he does, he does for a reason. In your notes, he has purposes tied to his power. And that's why we don't get everything that we want. Not because God can't do it. It's just it's not part of his plan. It's not part of his will. It's not something that will magnify his glory. In your notes, you can never detach God's omnipotence from his sovereignty. Revelation 19.6 puts it this way. Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That is, his omnipotence is tied to his rule, and his rule is tied to his will. So to get his power, you must be tied to his will. In your notes, if you are not in the will of God, you won't experience the power of God, because God's, God always exercises his power with a purpose to accomplish his will. Now, Jesus understood this. According to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus cried out to his father, knowing that his father had the power to deliver him from death. Jesus did not really want to die upon the cross. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find him praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible under thee. Take away this cup from me. It's possible for you to do. You have the power to do that. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as thou wilt. Mark 14, verse 36. See, with God, it's never just a question of power. The issue is matching his power with his will. So we need to ask God 
What does your ruling power wish to do? I think every parent understands this concept. We choose not to do some things for our children, even though we have the ability to do it, but we don't do it because it's in their best interest that we don't. And they might misunderstand us and misrepresent us. You don't love me. Why won't you? And we could do what they request, but we don't do it because we choose not to exercise our will in that way in, and our power in that way. It's got nothing to do with the power, the ability. We, we have the power, we have the ability. It has to do with a purpose. And God may not have come through you yet, either because you're not in his will or because you haven't perhaps learned what he wants you to learn while waiting for his will to be his power to be exercised. But again, it's not just a simple question of omnipotence. God can change that job. Okay? God can change your finances. God can give you a mate. And he doesn't even need the raw materials to make. He can make things out of nothing. So the question is always, what is God's will? And that should be our major concern. Finding and getting in line with, in line with the will of God. He says in Isaiah 46, verse 10, My counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. God uses his power to accomplish his will and his purposes. Number four, God's omnipotence is personal. It's personal. And this is really, really good for us because we as the people of God, we, more than anyone else, get to see and benefit and appreciate appreciate and experience the power of God in our lives. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 9 and 20. Paul prays there that we might comprehend the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in verse 20 Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. If you ever forget the word omnipotent or if the word power doesn't do anything for you. Just do what the biblical writers often did. That is, they reached back for an old phrase and they simply said, he is able. Okay, if we lose the theology of it, if we don't sort of work out how to match God's um, omnipotence with his sovereignty, just, just remember this phrase, he is able. God is able. In this magnificent benediction, Ephesians 3, verse 20, Paul is simply saying, God is able. Despite your circumstances, God's power is very personal to you. He is able. If you can think of it, if you can ask of it, that God can do it. Because he is able. What is God able to do? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that he's able to save you to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25. He's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save forever. And not only is God able to do that, God is also able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 2 Timothy 1.12. He will guard safe everything that we entrust to him. That's why we can't lose our salvation. You can't lose your salvation once you're, if you're truly saved. 
Because it's not a matter of us holding on to God. We don't have the ability to hold on to God. It's the fact that God is able to hold on to us. If we had to maintain our own salvation, we'd be saved, lost that, saved one day and lost the next. Saved one minute, lost the next minute. But I think we all need to be grateful that God is able to keep us from falling. And if he wasn't, we would be you know, forever living in fear of whether we lost our salvation or not. It's not a matter of us holding on to God's hand. It's a matter of God holding our hand. You know, when our children were small, we go to a theme park or something and it always hold the hands of the little ones. And if they were holding my hand only, then they were in trouble. But if I was holding their hand, they were okay. Because even if they let go, I was still able and God's able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost and maintain us all the way. Secondly, he's able to meet needs. Not only is God able to save you, he's able to meet all of your needs. Second Corinthians 8, 9 verse 8. Paul writes, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. And we need to understand that Paul is speaking to Christians here who have honoured God in with their substance. He's talking to Christians who have not robbed God in withholding from God his due. They've not robbed God in keeping the best for themselves and giving God the leftovers. And then they ask him for a blessing. That's not the situation here. These are people who have given sacrificially. And they are needy. And Paul says that's okay because God is all-powerful. He is able to take care of you. He'll help you to pay your bills because he's able. He'll, he'll meet your needs because he's able. Thirdly, he's able to deliver. He is able to deliver. In Daniel chapter 3, we read about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar threatened to throw them into the fiery furnace, but they replied, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Verse 17. In chapter 6, Daniel himself was thrown into the lion's den. The king came down next day, removed the stone, peered in, asked Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Verse 20. And Daniel's answer, paraphrase, yes, God is able. God has delivered me. Point D, he's able to keep you. He's able to keep us from falling. Okay, listen to that opening benediction, Jude 24. Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The Lord may allow us to trip and to stumble, but he won't allow us to fall because he's able. He will allow us to go through some difficulty, but he will always hold our hand. And if things are falling apart in your life, in your home, in your family, in your marriage, God can put things back together because God is able. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm fully aware that marriage takes the commitment of two people. And if you are committed to your marriage, but your mate insists on acting faithlessly, I'm not saying that God will just zap your mate and bring him or her into line. Unfortunately, human sin and rebellion still operate. And some marriages 
do fail, even though one partner prays fervently and remains faithful. But God's ability to restore a marriage is never in question. If you've got a sinful habit of any sort that you can't have, it's too big for you to handle, then we can bring that to God because God is able to help us overcome it. In light of all of this, we need to do what Paul advised the Ephesians to do. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How can Paul say that? Because God is able to strengthen us. Remember, God's ability to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think is according to the power that worketh in us, according to his power that worketh within us. Four things to know very quickly as we conclude. Number one, God must have our fully committed hearts. God doesn't want us to be divided. He doesn't want us to be committed to him on Sunday and committed to the world on Monday. He doesn't want us to be two-timing him. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, showing himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards or fully towards him. Think about it. God is trying to find someone to show his power through. Secondly, we must also have faith. <clears throat> you say, my, my faith is weak. Well, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus was met by a father who wanted Jesus to heal his son. And this man made a pretty weak statement of his faith to Jesus. He said, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, Jesus immediately challenged that. And then the man cried out, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. This man was saying, I want to, I kind of believe, I want to believe, I need to believe, but my, my beliefs, my, my faith, my belief system is, is not at its best today. And Jesus went ahead and healed the boy anyway, because the man was willing to bring his unbelief to Christ and let him turn it into belief. And so even if our faith isn't working great at the moment, if we bring our weak faith to Almighty God, that's all the faith you need because God is able. God doesn't need your faith in order to work. He merely wants you to stop trusting in yourself and be willing to trust him. Number three, we need to be humble. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. We know that God opposes the proud. He gives grace, enabling grace to the humble. So if you're going to experience God's enablement, his divine enablement, his omnipotent power, then we have to humble ourselves and be willing to submit ourselves to him. Number four, we must be ready to wait on the Lord. And so we come full circle back to Isaiah chapter 40. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord that created the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. 
He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. What does waiting on the Lord mean? Does it mean sitting and doing nothing? No. It means we don't rely on human schemes. Waiting on the Lord means to do it God's way, not our own way. I think many of us don't see the power of God at work because we're too busy trying to create our own power. We haven't seen the Lord at work because we're too busy concocting our own schemes. I think we're often like the little boy whose father told him to pick up a very heavy rock that was in their way. The boy tried, grunted and said, Daddy, I can't lift it. Daddy said, yes, you can. Boy tried again. Ah, Daddy, I can't lift it. Yes, you can. Boy went back again. Same result. Daddy, I can't lift it. Yes, you can. You're not using all your strength. This went on two or three more times. The boy insisted he was using all of his strength. And finally, his father put his arm around his shoulder and said, son, you don't understand. You didn't use all of your strength because you didn't ask me. You didn't ask me. God can pick up the rocks in our life. If we ask him, he can remove those heavy obstacles. Family, job, marriage, whatever. If we bring those things to the Lord. He doesn't want us grunting and groaning and moaning in our own strength. Because he already knows without him we can do nothing. God is able. He is omnipotently able. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you are well able uh, to do everything that we'll ever need. I thank you for the way that you so graciously condescend to us. So, so great, so, so powerful powerful beyond comprehension, beyond imagination, so powerful yet so gracious to deal tenderly with us. A bruised reed you'll not break, a smoking flax you won't quench. Thank you for your gracious dealings with us. And uh, Lord, thank you that you are at work in us and through us. And we pray that you teach us more of your ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.